Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Thursday, December 14th. Notre Dame, that much closer. What, 15 days now, Tim O'Malley? It's Tim Priester and Tim O'Malley. Day two-man booth from Irish Illustrated. 15 days from the uh, the, the bowl game coming up. And uh, the Sun Bowl is what they call that bowl game. Yeah. And uh, a bunch of news. Riley Leonard's official. Mitch, Mitch Jeter is official. R.J. Oban is official. Jack Kaiser's coming back. We have some other stuff to discuss here in segment one before we get to burning up the boards. But Riley Leonard is going to come to Notre Dame. We've known that for a couple of weeks. It was, um, I don't know what was a better or worse kept secret that or or Sam Hartman last year. It all came to fruition in December. I think this one has become public a, a, a quite a bit sooner than Sam Hartman. But Riley Leonard, Tim O'Malley is Notre Dame's quarterback in 2024 yeah there used to be the auspices of hush hush going on with the portal but there is no such thing anymore uh we'll have a lot of time to discuss riley leonard we've discussed in the past as i i like the addition for notre dame i don't think it's a i don't think it's a home run i think it's the best hit they could get and uh when asked before i thought sam hartman at the time was a better quarterback fit than riley Le- or better quarterback than riley leonard but Riley Leonard has a chance to surpass Sam Hartman. That's for sure in the real world. I mean, I know this is our podcast, but who the hell cares what we think? You know, we thought Sam Hartman would be better than he was. Maybe Riley Leonard will be better than I think he is. It's this is all still speculation. And I think, and obviously he's a much different quarterback. He's gonna he is going to be a tough runner. Um, he's a heck of a runner because Notre Dame had a plan for him and he's he still made him play with his legs. Well, Tim and, and Riley Leonard has a chance to work with a receiving core that should be better with the just the addition of some veteran. Oh, then Sam Hartman's, yeah, yeah. What, what, uh, yeah. I, I was mean, thinking I liked a couple of Duke's receivers this year, actually, but better than oh, yeah, Sam yeah, Hartman's yeah. receivers, no, that's for sure. No, I mean, yeah, Sam Hartman's receivers at Notre Dame. So, you know, and and I understand the concern. And, and look, you can take stats and you can do whatever you want with them. Like, we can talk about Jane Daniels and, you know, 11 of his 40 touchdown passes this year were against uh, Grambling and Georgia State. Georgia State is a FBS school, you know, a group of five school that's certainly capable of doing some good things. But, you know, so more than a quarter of his touchdown passes were against those two schools. Well, you can go and you can look at Riley Leonard's stats and see some similar things. But what I looked at was the 18 games. Actually, it may actually it may have been 19, but I wrote 18 in today's Thursday thoughts. But the, the 18 or 19 games that he played when he was completely healthy. So all of all of 22 till the end of the Notre Dame game of 2023, okay? Uh 63.6% completion, almost 4000 yards, a 23 to 7 interception uh touchdown to interception ratio. A quality runner, I mean a guy that had 88 yards against Notre Dame, 97 Northwestern, 98 Clemson this year, 96 against BC last year, 130 again. He is a huge threat on the ground. He's completed a decent percentage of his passes when he's been healthy. He has great size. He runs the football. He's pretty. Good. Well, I think it's a. I think it's a very a very high floor, and maybe we're not giving enough credit to the ceiling either. He could have. Well, a, he could have. I, but it's a very high floor because he's going to no, move I the ball. That's, I think that's a good way of putting it. We recognize the the floor. We don't quite know the ceiling. Yeah, it is probably higher then we're giving him credit for, um, you know, he was just going into his second year as a starter. His first year starter numbers 
were very good. Uh, he was tearing things up against some lesser teams, struggled a little bit with completion percentage against Notre Dame, as virtually every quarterback did, because Notre Dame was number two in the country in that category. Um, look, I, he's not perfect. He's a really good quarterback. Notre Dame got one of the best quarterbacks available in the portal. And one of the best kickers, finally. It's happened. Yes, Mitch Jeter is official. Twenty-three. He is 23 of 25. He hasn't missed from less than 50 yards while at South Carolina. How many were against Grambling State, though, Tim? How many of those field goals went in against the well, wrong I was team? Just That's say, the all great, that matters. The great, thing, the great thing about kickers is that you don't really <laughs> measure the opponent. It's just you and the, the placement, the holder, the snapper, and then the kicker has to kick it through the uprights, and he's been pretty good at it. He had a 45-yarder against Notre Dame last year, was 5-for-5 five five on extra points. An end-over-end kicker for those that heard our podcast on Monday – not a lot of hook or or slice from what he what comes off his foot. Looks like a pretty darn good kicker, Tim. Yeah, and um, I, I think uh, the accuracy rather than the distance. I mean, the distance is super fun when it can happen. You get excited to see someone line up and have a legitimate chance at a 56-yard field goal instead of one of those end-of-the-half things. But actually, I read something on the board when they were talking about uh, at least a week ago the difference between having the guy that's super accurate under 50 and a guy that can drill 55 yarders, 56 yarders in today's football. I almost want to go for it because people go for it more than kick the 55 and 56 yard field goal. And you lose those seven yards of field position when he misses. I, I like the fourth and four from your own 38 or from their 38 yard line that you're going for it. I think that is the way Marcus Freeman wants to play anyway. So if your range is 50, you're not as tempted to kick from 56 in the middle of the first quarter. Yeah, and for the record, in his first game as a full-time kicker at South Carolina in 2022, he did hit a couple 50-yarders. So he got they off They all the, should be able to hit some 50-yarders. I mean, that that's yeah, the new so, that's the new law for kickers as well, but Schrader was like he was like tantalizing people to want to kick it farther. You know, you'd be like, "Well, let's give it a shot." It's Schrader. You know, he could just figure yeah. he'd kick it from anywhere. Now, no no doubt about it. Now, the one thing that that uh Jeter has been a little bit inconsistent with has been kickoffs. It, his his percentage is not great in terms of touchbacks. So maybe you see Zach Yoakum again. Maybe yeah. you see Notre Dame's punter, which was going to be his original role, McPherson, um, before he had some some hip or leg issues his freshman year. He's a candidate too. So, um, you know, may, maybe Notre Dame can keep Jeter fresher throughout the season with one of those two other guys handling the kickoffs. Yeah, and Yoakum was really good at it, so that is a possibility. I don't remember why McPherson told us he did not attempt to win that job this year. It's probably because they wanted him to focus on becoming the best punter possible. But remember, he wasn't even involved. We, we, I think we just always kept assuming for nine months it was going to be those three duking it out, and then we we asked McPherson, he's like, no, I'm not included in that competition, so maybe he will be this year. Yeah, I think they were just – they were focusing on him – Becoming a And that's exactly what he did. Now, the one guy that we didn't talk about on Monday, we knew it was a possibility. Maybe we mentioned his name, but RJ Oban, the defensive end from Duke has, has made it official and he will be coming to Notre Dame. Tim, I like, I've watched a lot of film of him. I like him. I, I use the phrase one trick pony because he has mainly been a sack guy and has not been a guy that, you know, his snaps were, were in the 400, so he wasn't playing on a full-time basis. They had some depth there at Duke. Um, 
but you know, just not sure how adept he is as a run stopper. Most of his the higher percentage of his stops have been behind the line of scrimmage as as a sack guy. I mentioned one trick pony, and as you said, it's a pretty important trick, and it, it is. is. It is an important trick. I, I I do think they need someone to augment him. Um, Javante Jean Baptiste was just under five hundred snaps. Oban was just over four hundred. I mean, that is 10 snaps a game. That matters when you're trying to rotate. I, I And he had non-Osafa Mensa. Um, well, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of, of how maybe Oban and Osafa Mensa could have worked well together, but I think Notre Dame is going to need to develop another strong side defensive end as well. But uh, since we're looking at teams, how guys play against certain teams, it's worth noting that RJ Oban, 27 pressures, according to Pro Football Focus, five of them against Clemson, four of them against Florida State. Those were two of the three highest totals of the season. So... And also Northwestern. I don't know if that counts as much, but they had five. He had five against Northwestern. Zero against Lafayette. So if he takes the game off when they play the worst teams, it's okay with me. <laughs> well, the five against Northwestern carries a little bit more weight because Northwestern ended up being a pretty good football. They did, yes. Under an interim coach who has now been named the head coach. But, you know, I, I like I said it in my film review, and maybe we can talk through this, Tim, a little bit. I'm not exactly sure what Notre Dame's intentions are. I think he has, I think he has a strong side ends body. I do too. But a Viper kind of game. We kind of thought that of, that was the feedback. It's not that we necessarily, we, we got the feedback from Ohio State, especially you got feedback from Ohio State, that JJB was a better fit for pass rushing Viper than strong side end. He ended up being a great fit at strong side end, and he was a really good pass rusher there. The one thing, you, it, it's almost like you got to be able to get something now out of Botello, Burnham, Kia is coming back. He was a Viper. I think Tui Halamaka could be better served. Um, now that Kaiser's staying, I don't know if he'll go back to linebacker or not. I don't know what role would be there for him. They have enough Vipers is the way I look at it. And I can't name the end. And then Traore might be a Viper. And then he's the best Viper of all of them. <laughs> I think what we saw, what we saw from Traore in, in August and what we saw in his brief moments yeah. in the field in games, that's a Viper man. And I know. It's been hard to come by. It's it's really hard to come by them, but I have been thinking about it because they have Vipers. Traore with those long arms, if he's 240 for real, we don't know if he's really 240 or not, but if he's 240 for real and can be 250, can he become a guy like Khalid Kareem that brings everything to the equation as a strong sign in and pass rusher? Like JJB and Khalid Kareem changed everything for Notre Dame defensive. They were, those defenses were really good because they had those two guys. They're, they're valuable players on that side. You know, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm sure we'll try to get Marcus Freeman to, to be specific about those kind of things. And he won't be at this time yeah. of year. Yeah. So we're probably going to be, we're going to have to dig a little bit deeper to find out exactly what their intentions are with their, their defensive ends. But, you know, it has a chance to be a better situation because of Oban um, I love the way the kid plays the game. It, you know, it's the old, um, the old expression that we used, you know, he plays with his hair on fire. He is wound tight and he is going after it. Um, he has a variety of pass rush moves, including a spin move that I didn't see until after I wrote the the film review of him. So he's, he has a bunch of things that he can rely upon just I love the energy that he brings to the field. He's a try hard, never, never give up kind of pass rusher. And you like it. Maybe L. Washington, L. Washington obviously did some good things with 
John Baptiste in terms of making him a run stopper. Uh, maybe he can have that kind of influence on Oban. And he had two pressures against Notre Dame. I should point that out because that's also real. That's, that was another team they played last year. They played Notre Dame. He had two pressures. He doesn't make a lot of, you're right though. He doesn't make any, that many plays against the run. No, he just does he really not. doesn't. But I think that, yeah, I mean, I think that his snap count kind of reflects that a little bit too. And weren't you? Samson was talking about he was watching. I don't know. He was rewatching the Duke game, and he just wasn't seeing Oven. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that you know he hasn't been a rundown defensive yeah. end at this stage of his career. I mean, just I, I just keep saying. I mean, could could Burnham at two fifty already really grow into the strong side end after being a linebacker? He is a big dude. I mean, that's a, that guy is bigger. He's bigger than listed at 6'3". He's the only guy in the world taller than listed in the history of Notre Dame football. That guy's a, his arms are long. He's are tall. Long, but I, I, you know, I don't know that he has a strong side end strength at this point. Yeah. No, this is going to be. At least they have nine Vipers. That's cool. None of them. Be good. Yeah, we're going to be, we're, we are going to be talking about, we have a question in the second segment, so I'm kind of avoiding talking yeah. about specific players there, but uh, Jack Car- Kaiser's coming back. That is huge. We know that Howard Cross III is coming back. We suspect that Xavier Watts is is coming back as well. He's at the point now where it would be a massive surprise. I back. Like I'm sure he. I think he'll wait until after the Sun Bowl and say, you know, one more run it back social media yeah. type thing. But I mean, I suppose what if he just scores two touchdowns in the Sun Bowl or something like that? Then I suppose you never know. But I think I, it just seems everything he says it sounds like he's coming back. I, I think he does. And, and I, you know, I've said many times we, we, it's, it's best for, it's in his best interest. I think if he wants to become a long-term NFL safety to come back. Yeah. And he said that. Me. Yeah. Yeah. He has, he has. Yeah, so he, he said he needs to work that. on his coverage. That's, right. that's great. He said that before unanimous this and unanimous that and first yeah. team this and, and first team that, and that shows great self-awareness, which of course, we all know is one of the great qualities of a adult human being. Yes. <laughs> a little bit rare in our profession, but yeah, there's just, yeah. <laughs> he yeah. has it. Yes. Uh, speaking of guys coming back and somebody on a message board said it along here, Tyler Buckner and Drew Pine are going to be enrolled at Notre Dame this, this spring, um, but they're not going to be playing football. And that is, that sums everything up that, uh, the NIL slash portal era has brought to, uh, to college football. I really wish they still had tackle in inner hall. <laughs> Cause Tyler Buckner would kill people. <laughs> I mean, Drew Pine would be awesome, but Tyler Buckner would be an unstoppable human force running the football in tackle I, against regular people imagine. that were drunk on Thursday night. Come on. <laughs> I be. can't imagine that that would be something at the forefront of their, their minds coming back to Notre Dame, but they are both doing that um, to, well, in, in Tyler Buckner's case to play lacrosse yeah. and, to, and to complete degrees and add degrees. And at Drew Pine should at least play bookstore. All quarterbacks can shoot, right? He's got to be able to play bookstore. <laughs> one, one would think. Yeah. One would think. Uh, so good for him. And, and again, at self-awareness, he, Thought he could play in the Pac-12. He couldn't, at least not at Arizona State. And, um, you know, he could go, he could play, certainly he could play for a group of five teams. Yeah, I think he'll get his Notre Dame degree and play two years, right, for a group of five. Well, he could do that, but but what, it would be 28 by that point? What are we, yeah, what are we talking about? 
I mean, I can't be next Chris Wenke. Yeah, I, I, I can't imagine him doing that, but, uh, but we'll see, but good for him. We want to, Oh, you don't uh, think he'll play. You don't think he'll play football again. I think he'll play after he graduates from Notre Dame. Well, how old is he now? Well, no, he's a 2020 freshman. The year didn't count. He can do it. Yeah. The years are kind of, yeah. Yeah. He could. Yeah. Certainly he could do that, but it's, but rather than keep pushing that education off, it's in his best. He may feel differently about after he gets his degree at Notre Dame, but yeah, you're probably right. He, I I mean, a group of five school that again, always passing out, um, recommendations to people that don't need our recommendations certainly don't need my recommendation but uh i think it's smart that he's getting his degree and then if he wants to play for a group of five school i think that that would be the best route for him to go and not alabama he shouldn't do that no that would that would not be good but he also wouldn't get paid what tyler butner was paid by either so uh we're going to wrap up segment one uh, talking about strength and conditioning, coach, uh, we do have some information on this. A lot of people have been saying, you know, you know, we're asking this question and you're not answering it. We try our best to answer every question as it pertains to Notre Dame football, Notre Dame athletics, and the University of Notre Dame. As soon as it's asked, it's difficult for us to have all of those answers. And we didn't have answers yet on the strength and conditioning, coach. I think we're confident in saying that. We do not believe that Fred Hale, who has served as an interim strength and conditioning coach, will end up getting a full-time job to replace the position left open by Matt Bayless's exit. No, and not with what seems to be a real search. I mean, they, they've gone. This has been a search. Um, it's a quiet one. They're doing a good job of it. Uh, Fred Hale would surprise me. And that, I mean, and this is one of those things where. I'm definitely not qualified to say how good of a strength and conditioning coach Fred Hale would be because I've never even had a chance to talk to him or any single player about him since he took over on an interim basis. But just reading the tea leaves of the interview situation, that it it is unlikely to be him. The intent certainly is to go out and find the best strength and conditioning coach that that's will better said. Right. right, right. They did that seven years ago, uh, going on eight years ago now uh, with Matt Bayless. I do want to. I think it would be in our best interest, Tim, to. You know, a lot of a lot of our subscribers or some of our subscribers commenting on the message board are saying that, well, obviously he didn't leave Notre Dame for personal reasons. We know we do know three. Yeah, that's not true. He left Notre Dame for personal reasons. Absolutely. Now, you know, speculation about his relationship with Marcus Freeman and and all that is irrelevant to why he left Notre Dame. I can't say I can't say great, good, bad, fake, wonderful effusive but that's not has nothing to do with it no it's irrelevant to that so whether he goes back when he he gets back in there's talk about tying him to vanderbilt that would be great for him it would certainly be great for clark lee uh but but again it it was it 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 was not a it was not a nordame related situation now who is going to replace fred hale we're not going to name names today because i don't think that it's in the best interest of the process here right at this particular moment yeah, well, because it wasn't told to us on the record at all. So that's that makes it really difficult as, as a journalist to say anything in that situation. But I mean, I don't it's pretty fair to say it's not. I'm not sure. I actually I shouldn't say it's definitely not. But I don't know if it's going to be the first choice Marcus Freeman ever had, though, considering the interview process. Does that? Yeah, well, maybe that ring not. true. Is that ring fair to say, at least from the outside? I think it does, because Samson mentioned about talking to a yeah. to a. Uh, a professional strength and conditioning coach and NFL strength and conditioning coach. We know that there's interest in one highly regarded 
strength and conditioning coach in college who might prefer, who would prefer an opportunity if it arises in the NFL. Yeah. And that, that makes it tough because I think that will probably present. Now the question is, if it doesn't present from the NFL, would he come to Notre Dame? And that's where we'll, we'll probably be able to figure that out in the next week. Yeah, exactly. I, I I mean, I think we're confident in saying that whoever Notre Dame ends up with, and there is a short list at this point, uh, it'll be somebody who is, who's accomplished, who, who has credentials that say this is an accomplished strength and conditioning coach, whether it's on the NFL level or the college level. Are we not, are we not confident of that, Tim? We no, I am. Yeah, I'm confident of that. And I'm confident people won't like him. So that's good too. <laughs> now I think everybody was on board with Matt Bayless. They were they? on board with Matt I mean, Bayless pretty quickly. I mean, they got impossible. on board with that one very quickly. Yeah, it's impossible for everybody to be on. It's the offensive coordinator that no one's going to ever yeah, like. I, I, yeah. You know my whole theory on that, right? That everybody believes they can call plays an offense, but no one really believes they can coordinate a defense. So you got to be absolutely awful on defense like Van Gorder for people to think, to just be able to know absolutely that you're doing terrible. It's not like, oh, they give up too many points. You could look out there sometimes and be like, oh my gosh, what are you thinking? But offensively, it is absolutely a reaction to the end of the play, not the process of the play call and all those things. I'm going to stick by that forever. And you're going to hate the next offensive coordinator whenever it's not Jared Parker someday. Congratulations. All right. And so, if you love him, he's probably going to be gone in a year. How's that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <it's very laughs> he's a new head. He's a new head coach in Canada. Yeah. So anyway, we hope to provide more specifics on this. But for now, that is the way we're going to have to leave this because we are not in a situation where we're ready to release that information. Tom Loy may uh, get the nod on that. And if he does, then we will reveal it. If we get the nod, we'll do the same. Coming up, segment two, burning up the boards. If you're coming to a game this season, you have to check out Game Day Your Way, the official tailgate service provider of Notre Dame. Game Day Your Way offers everything you need, including tailgate gear, catering, and even beverage delivery right to your spot. And their Irish Express transportation from Chicago allows you to tailgate while you travel to their all-inclusive party zone in South Bend. Let Game Day deal with all the hassle so you can focus on the fun. For tailgates, tickets, transportation, and more, visit gamedayyourway.com. Welcome back to segment two, Burning Up the Boards. Our first question is from Spider-Man 45. In the past, coaches could dedicate their efforts to high school recruiting, but now with the transfer portal, there are two pools of players the coaches must recruit, high school recruits and transfers. And this is an editorial, but I think there's three, your own current players as well, Spider-Man. And on top of that, coach, oh, I'm sorry, coaches have to re-recruit their own players. With Marcus Freeman putting so much effort into all types of recruiting, are there any concerns of him burning out? I think there's concerns of the entire profession burning out with what's now being asked of coaches you know, and the, the common response is, well, they make enough money to that. Well, yeah, they make enough money, but a schedule is a schedule. And if it if it's 16, 18 hour days, it's no way for anybody to live their life. But right, uh, it's a great question. Um, you know, it pays to be a strapping, healthy 38 year old former football player. So I think in the short term, he's going to be just fine. But, you know, I mean, it's something the entire profession has to address. And the one thing that is not mentioned in this great question is next year, there are going to be playoffs in December. So add that to the process. I don't know if does that change any of the timetables of the other stuff that we're talking about here? It, you know, it's going to change something. But, Tim, 
I would think the NCA would not change what they have now, where the portal begins at season's end in early December for eight more teams because their portal is for 131 teams. You're allowed to leave if you're in a playoff game. They're not telling you you can't leave. I would keep the same timing because it all it just affects eight more teams where players may or may not want to leave. And they can leave as soon as they finish their playoff game. Like some people are going to lose a mid-December playoff game as well pretty quickly. Yeah, but like the problem for the backup Texas quarterback, Malik Murphy, I believe his name is, and he's entered the portal, is that, you know, you have to have a decision by January 2. So Mm -hmm. he could could play or dress for the January 1 game, but what if they win? He could still do it. Brian Kelly said way ahead of time, and it was the weirdest thing I've ever heard anyone say at the time, but now it seems prescient. John Jonathan Jones entered the portal. I mean, this has to be four or five years ago now, because yeah. five years ago, somebody asked it because it was one of those random December press conferences where they were playing a r- average bowl and nobody made to talk about. <laughs> and they said, so can he not practice with you? And Brian Kelly said, why can he not practice with us? If he's not in the portal, is he not allowed to be on our team? And I was like, well, this is the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Not in the case of a quarterback on a playoff team. He will probably be in the portal, have everybody looking at him, take all the calls he wants, have all the people offer him money, and leave after his season ends. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he should he should absolutely stay. He might start up he could he could play who who backed up Colt McCoy? Whoever I forget Colt McCoy's backup that came in and got murdered by Alabama. He played an entire playoff game. An entire BCS championship game. I mean, that's I think people will just elect to go to the portal and stay on their team. I, I, I think so. You know, JB has kept us surprised of the fact that the, the portal uh, timetable, the open door on the portal, so to speak, mm-hmm. much shorter uh, this year, but the timing of that, that January 2nd is what, you know, prompted him to, he's, he has to put his name in the portal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, This question is great because we could do a whole podcast on the, my answer to it. It's not going to be an easy one. I'm not worried about Marcus Freeman burning out or other coaches burning out. I'm worried about them not doing a good enough job because there's too many things to figure out here. You need a dedicated 100% player personnel, general manager, not player personnel. I hope you guys are all doing well. Wellness check on you and stuff like that. This is someone has to be able to tell Marcus Freeman and Nick Saban, anybody else. Nope, you don't need a strong side defensive end right now. You don't need a tight end right now. You don't need a quarterback. You need this, this, and this. And eventually it's going to be, it is not worth your million dollars to get a quarterback. Ride it out with this guy. Get this guy coming in. You can get this guy next year. You have four other guys. Like, it is going to be NFL style. Coach should not be in charge of everything anymore. And Bill Parcells, you know, if you're going to make the dinner, you want to be able to buy some of the groceries. Uh, I think it's going to have to become a two-man job, the general manager and the coach working hand-in-hand, and you're going to have to have some veto power over saying, like, just because we always bring this up, why would you tell that graduate student that he has no place back here? What, you're gonna, you think your backup freshman is going to stay here four years for you? Like, That's... those are the conversations that have to happen now. Like, why would that guy stay for four years? Right, and these decisions are no longer made in a vacuum. There's so many outside influences. Yeah. Uh, or, or so many factors that that influence that decision. Uh, Tim, I, I I know what. Uh, well, I'll bring that up at at, at a later point. But um, yeah, at December's are insane. Can we? I mean, 
think about us covering a couple more playoff games in December. Um, Better than covering one more. Well, that's true. A couple of two is better than one. That's, that's true. But uh, December's are about to become crazy. Uh, one more is barely worth it. Well, to your point, one more is not that much worth it. Well, like, that's true. Hey, that's they made the playoffs. They got beat. Great. All right. <laughs> it'll yeah. end it in late November. Question from Irish Austin P. Does Jack Kaiser staying tell us anything about L. Golden and whether he's staying on staff? Uh, I mean, as of now, I think it's Kaiser wouldn't necessarily announce he was staying if he thought Al Golden was leaving. But remember, Al Golden and Mickens, um, you, I just think you have to protect against it until after the Super Bowl when the NFL comes calling too. But I'm sh- I think Notre Dame, as JB mentioned, they are working on getting Golden and Mickens extended. Yeah, and very, that, very important. No, it's very important, and they're they're absolutely doing that. They're very serious about trying to lock up Al Golden. Um, you know, th- this whole talk about contract extensions and that locks them up. That doesn't lock anything up, <laughs> but, yeah. but when, when a coach signs an extension, okay, at least in the short term, his intention is to stay. And then hopefully you can provide a, 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 a situation where he's comfortable following through with, with that, that contract, but Notre Dame working very hard on keeping Al Golden and, and Mike Mickens as of right now. Yes, they're on board, and I'm sure that Jack, that's what Jack Kaiser believes. That's what L. Golden believes, but things can change, certainly, as soon as the bowl game is over. But, um, yeah, Kaiser back is huge. Oh, um, man, it just makes I mean, the linebacker is, group so much better all around to have him guiding it. It's, you have a voice out there calling things now. How much better that makes Drake Bowen, Jalen Sneed, Jaden Osbury, just to have KVA, by the way. You could play a freshman because he could be by Ky- next to Kaiser as opposed to next to a redshirt freshman, which just wouldn't do you any good at all. Trying to that That's giant. It, it cannot be overstated. And he's a good player. He's not just a guy that can call defenses. And he's a good player. Tim, I went and Thursday thoughts, if I can say uh, this without the dead air that you often complain about uh, that, that we create. But uh, in terms of Jack Kaiser, okay, here it is. In the last two years, adding up all the snaps, and you may have done this, in the last 25 games, uh, Maris Leifel had 1,241 snaps. J.D. Bertrand had 1,197 snaps. Jack Kaiser had 663 snaps. So he had almost 600 less snaps than Maris Leifel, but 22 more tackles. It's incredible. And it was, I mean, he was so much more productive two years ago than Leofau. Right. I thought, I thought Leofau had a good year this year. I really did. Um, but Jack Kaiser, man, makes more plays per opportunity than it's most guys have. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. He had, he had 530 less snaps in Bertrand, but just 40 less tackles. And Bertrand makes a lot of plays. Bertrand makes a t- <laughs> the one thing no one can argue about with J.D. Bertrand was production, by the way, in terms of just going out and raw production, J.D. Bertrand produced. I mean, you can you can say anything you want to say about J.D. Bertrand and people have for four years. I think everybody came around this year. Yeah. But and even he, when there were misses, the dude ended up piling up numbers. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you're going number one. He was playing out of position his first year as a full time starter. And but that's what I'm saying. No matter what bad thing you could say, he still had numbers. He still put up numbers as a starter. He did. But and, this and Jack you know, Kaiser be that close to him? Oh my God. Kaiser's not going to have to worry about coming off the field in situational, you know, down and distance situations. 
he's going to stay on the field now, right? He has to. Yeah, I actually, I almost guaranteed that was part of the conversation with Al yeah, Golden. Yeah, no Am doubt. I staying on the field? Are you subbing me out for something? And really, that's it's not much of. There's not a great reason to sub him out, is there? He should be the dime backer. When there's one linebacker, it should be yeah, him. No, absolutely. It, it it all makes sense now. By JD Bertrand leaving, it clears it clears the way for for Kaiser to be in that situation. So, uh, really quickly, according to Pro Football Focus, eight career missed tackles by Kaiser. <laughs> Kaiser eight career missed tackles. We're we're putting a lot of uh, emphasis on this, and we're probably still not giving him enough credit for. I mean, the missed tackle stats weird because I feel like they don't know who's supposed to be in the hole sometimes. But like Xavier Watts and, and JD Bertrand this year both had thirteen missed tackles. Yeah, both of them. I mean, Xavier Watts is the defensive player of the year. He had thirteen missed tackles according to the same website that has Jack Kaiser having eight in his career. That's incredible. Uh, Notre Dame's getting a good football player back, and they're also getting a director of operations in the middle of the defense. So that's as that's as good as it gets uh, when it when it comes to keeping a player from from uh, from moving on. Uh, question from Joe Ty: Is Riley Leonard who we thought is Riley Leonard who we thought Tyler Butner would be? I kind of like the Desmond Ritter comp I saw on the board a little bit for Riley Leonard. I don't think he's he's a bigger guy though. Um, I can't even remember what I thought Tyler Buckner would be because as soon as I saw him throwing short routes, I was thinking to myself, I did not think he was going to pass like Wimbush. But um, I don't know. I mean, Tyler Buckner was an underrated runner for Notre Dame. Riley Leonard's a better runner than Tyler Buckner, I think. Boy, I tell you, Buckner broke a lot of tackles. He did. Think, he really did. Like, I think that's a wash. They're both really yeah. good at it. Leonard's going to be really good at it. But he's a more accurate thrower, uh, thrower of the football than Tyler Buckner was. Oh, for sure. But this is what we thought. I thought Tyler Buckner would end up being kind of accurate, didn't you, when he showed up? Yes, I did. But a couple things concern me. That the, the one throwing motion where he looks like he's pushing the football. Yeah. And then during the, the summer before he got here. Um, but it changed completely. The change of the throwing motion was like, what in what are you doing? But. I think Leonard is a better version of Tyler Buckner because I, because he's going to complete eight to ten percent of his passes more than than Buckner was going to. And I guarantee fewer to the other team. Not even a jinx right there. No, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. Fewer to the other team that come back all the way. That was my guarantee. Well, that's uncanny. That's impossible. I don't. I can't believe it. It just happened every time. <laughs> Buckner was he was the king of pick six. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that's an incredible thing really hey at least he had a uh, good sense of humor after the gator bowl right when he said i actually accounted for seven touchdowns that was that was cool yeah he did next from murphy 324 he says joe rudolph had a tough 2023 where's your confidence level in his ability to develop these young high ceiling players is it possible notre dame's ol is the high risk position group heading into 2024 number one i there has even during this season, because offensive lines struggle when they're not cohesive, regardless of the coach, even during even during the season, I have not had any questions about Joe Rudolph as an offensive line coach. I think he's a spectacular teacher. I, I think he relates very well to the players. I, I don't I, I don't think that there's an issue with Joe Rudolph. Number one. Number two, 
Notre Dame was 12th in the country in sacks allowed, 11th in yards per carry, 27th in rushing touchdowns, and 33rd in yards rushing per game. And that was with two completely unproven guards and an undersized center that you know is going to get leveraged every now and then against a quality nose. Yeah, I agree with you completely. Um, I do think the last part is not possible at his high-risk position group. I mean, he has a chore in front of him for next year with two new tackles. He doesn't really have a new center. I mean, they they they, they could have had their old center back if they wanted. Yep. So it, 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 I know it's a new center, but they really like the guy. So the interior should be solid because you have three guards plus the center. And that doesn't include Jagasa, who might be the best player of the entire group, but we're just, we don't know exactly where he's going to end up right now. So let's say Jagasa has to play tackle because you simply want to get him on the field and you have too many guards that are on the field. You're relying on Tosh Baker, a fifth-year senior, who should be better than the last time we saw him, obviously, when he had to be replaced. He's got to be way better than that. Um, I think Tosh Baker, if Tosh Baker wasn't way better than that, he would have been on the thank you for your services. I'm glad you graduated from Notre Dame. It's time to go train. And he's not, so they must like him. And we all like Emil Wagner's future, and I think that's where the high ceiling comes in from Murphy 324. He's just got to be bigger. I mean, at 289. 290 that's obviously yeah. he's going he's going to be bigger but he's got to be able to maintain it and play bigger yeah i i you know offensive line cohesion is difficult to achieve and i just mentioned those numbers and i realize they struggled at times they but but, but like what offensive line there, there are only a handful of offensive lines every year that don't struggle at all over the course of the, the season i think michigan's going to find out without zach zinner how tough it is to go against Alabama here coming up, but they might find out even if they had Zach Center, how tough it would be to go against. Oh, Alabama. That's, very that's very true. But I know that I just mentioned that because I <laughs> yes. think that dinner is a huge loss, huge loss for them, but yeah, it's going to be tough, but man, how many, t- how many schools in the country would love to be say, man, we, we got to start Wagner and Tosh Baker. Oh no, it's great. I mean, it, it's, it's better than, I think I wrote it for the Oregon state side. It was like, who's replacing Fisher and all like, well, one guy was ranked 100, and the other guy was all the way down at 165 a couple years ago, and there was this, that, yeah. and that's what it is all the way through. Now, I would um, say, you know, we talked about this the other day, Tim, about you know flip flopping them. I think Wagner's the better left tackle prospect. Is I he would not? think so too. I, I just think they might have just filled it out to have a maybe they wanted yeah. Wagner to learn. It was yep. easier to learn right tackle. So Tosh Baker um, came in at right tackle, by the way. In the only high leverage situation that presented all year, Blake Fisher hurt his hand against Louisville, I believe. Tosh Baker came in at right tackle for those five snaps, not Emil Wagner. So I just think Tosh Baker was the third tackle. Uh, good, a good point. Thank you for clarifying. And Wagner was the fourth. Um, I want to say one thing about Fisher, because this has nothing to do with Blake Fisher's the person. I joked with you that Blake Fisher screwed Notre Dame. Yeah. I don't mean Blake Fisher did. I mean the situation for Notre Dame's coaches. You have Blake Fisher... And you're thinking at the beginning of this football season, we got this guy for two more years to develop. He's going to be our next great tackle as a senior. And all of a sudden you find out during his true junior season, he is going to go pro. And you're like, what in the world? I mean, that is what the, that is just a difficult situation. You cannot, it's like Dylan McCullough knew last April, Audric Estime was going pro after this year. They knew two years ago, Joe Alt was going pro after this year. Blake Fisher going pro after this year has not been a, a thought in the coach's mind since he started playing again in 2022. Like I'm sure in 2021, he thought, Oh, we don't have this guy forever because he was a freshman starter. But yeah, when I said that he screwed him, I don't mean Blake Fisher did that decision. The absence of Blake Fisher 
is like the biggest hole a coaching staff has because you cannot, they never could have prepared for that before, say, October. Why would you ever think Blake Fisher was going pro right now? Well, I mean, unless somewhere along the way earlier he revealed that or this. Yeah, and if he did, I mean, I'm not saying he, he is absolved. I'm saying imagine being the coaching staff and Joe Rudolph being like, we don't have Blake Fisher all of a sudden. This is insane. Well, okay. I know, I know how you're using the word absolved there, but I, I, I am, I am up to my eyebrows in the supposition all the time that when a player doesn't play well, the coach screwed up. Come on, man. Blake Fisher is capable of being a better football player than he was this year. That's on Blake Fisher. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just mean, I mean like he's allowed to leave, but it just it seems so out of the blue. Like if you didn't plan for Joe Alt leaving, you're you're a very bad manager of your team. No, we're talking about two different things here. Yeah, and I, yeah. I get I get what you're saying completely. I mean, they were blindsided by that, but I don't want to hear that. That Joe Rudolph did a bad job with Blake Fisher. Every opportunity in the world is there for Blake Fisher to develop. Joe Rudolph is a quality offensive line coach. I don't know. Not every, not every uh, uh, position coach looks good. If you're always going to say, "Oh, that unit's struggling," the coach is is not doing a good job. It's it, the nature of the game. You can't be good all the time, and a coach can't solve every problem with every player. That's impossible, and it's ridiculous to always pin a player's failing on the assistant coach. Of course, it's his responsibility, but nobody gets perfect perfect production out of their players. But they were planning on developing him for one more year. <laughs> that was all I'm saying. Like, no, this exactly. Like, I'm not disagreeing. Believe. It would no, just be no. like if all of a sudden, after Ashton Craig finishes his Let's say Ashley Craig's an All-American next year, but it's his first year playing. Yeah, I'm going, what? What? <laughs> like, that is literally the level that you're talking about. Oh, I mean, I know what you're saying, and and it, it, Blake Fisher wants to be a professional football player yeah, right that's, now. That's great. Go for it, dude. Go for it. You're not, ready. You're, not, you're not ready to play your best football on the next level. In, in case you're not aware of that, you're not ready to do that. But go for it, man. And you're right. I mean, Joe Rudolph should have another year to develop him into a better player than he was this year. He wasn't I, – I did like, you always felt like that side of the line of scrimmage was not getting pushed and, get, and getting caved, right? Yeah, I thought he was better against the – I mean, against the run. I thought he run was a better run blocker, though, on the move than he was pass protector. Uh, my favorite thing is when someone says, well, he's going to play guard in the NFL. and you know, Aaron Donald doesn't play edge rusher either. Like they have to pass protect in the NFL at guard. It's a different, a little bit of a different world these days. Yeah. Question from Beast Texas, and this is for O'Malley. Last week you mentioned bringing in a portal tight end could potentially impact the relationship with Eli Raritan. Would it make sense to target a wide receiver, or could Colsey line up as a tight end in certain packages? Yeah, there's two parts to this. I mentioned bringing in a rando portal tight end to shore up the situation could impact the relationship with Raritan or a younger guy like Flanagan or something a lot, or just like where you're like, wait a minute, why do you need another tight end? And it's not a massive advantage for Notre Dame to do it. That's why I would wait until the spring. Once again, that's roster management and being mean, you've handcuffed your players from not getting to the portal. If you do it after the spring, um, that's, going to be part of life. that's going to be part of life, by the way, is, is waiting long enough. So they can't go anywhere. 
unless there's another tight end out there that might find Notre yes. Dame. However, if there's a certain tight end from Stanford that could come to Notre Dame, then you open up the process by saying, Benjamin Urasek, come join our team. Make our team better. And if somebody doesn't like it, beat them out. Because the reality is anybody on this team can leave at any point they ever want to leave. Probably not Riley Leonard once he's once he gets uh, here in August. But once Riley Leonard starts playing, it'd be hard for him to leave, I'm guessing, how the contracts work out. But I think everybody else can leave whenever they want. And I would think of that all the time. Uh, in terms of a, targeting a larger wide receiver, I feel like Jaden Thomas is that guy in the tight end packages because this is kind of a two-part question, really. That's Jaden Thomas. Uh, Colsey is not that. Um, Colsey has admitted, because he is one of the few that is self-aware, that getting off the line and, and using his strength is something he has to do. So he is not, he is not a tight end option, a big option. But Jaden Thomas, that is Jaden Thomas's best role as a football player, I think. Is. Yeah, no, it really is. Here's my opportunity to insert what I was going to say a little bit ago because it was it's a uh, uh, someone commenting on what you said. Someone also commented on us saying on Monday that Irish Illustrated said that we think all four quarterbacks will be on the roster. Next I never fall. think that. I've never, I've never said that. I've never thought that. That's why Riley Leonard is on the roster now. Right. I could see, I could see all four starting spring on the roster. I could, I, I could too. I don't understand how Angeli benefits from that. I don't either, but Tyler Buckner did. Um, Tyler Buckner, though, had just, oh, this is a very similar situation, Tim. I got to catch myself. Tyler Buckner had just become the MVP of the Gator Bowl, won a game for Notre Dame, and felt great about himself. And that's what Steve Angeli can do right now for Notre Dame during the Sun Bowl. Yeah, I just think I want to go out here and keep playing, man. And yeah, it's a great, it's a great opportunity for him wherever he ends up next year. He absolutely, this you get a chance to start whatever you want to say about the bowl game, Oregon State, Sun Bowl, whatever. You get a chance to start a game, so go for it. I think he'll, I think he'll do fine. Um, He doesn't have two tackles is the huge issue. I doesn't, and and that's a story I wrote yesterday. um, You know about the matchups to consider now that we have a really good idea of who's opting in and who's opting out on both sides. But um, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt those two tackles are going to be up against it. It's a good pass rushing defense. It's interesting that both teams veering off here a little bit, both teams, the majority of their losses are on the offensive side of the ball. And there's very few on the defensive side, but as I predicted early in this process, and I don't know, it's pretty even. I mean, I thought Oregon state would end up having the most, opt-outs here i think it's mm-hmm. pretty even, and it's pretty even on both sides of the football really but yeah what, i mean and andy's losing on oh, no, unanimous all-american and audrick estime that's a that's a big switch i know oregon state lost really good players they both lost yeah, the quarterbacks Arcina. like yeah uh, it's i don't even like to talk about all that but we'll continue to to, yeah. to analyze this game for what it is and it is it's not a it's i i guess i kind of i get why everybody's saying it you guys said it you know, the whole notion of glorified scrimmage. I hate that phrase because it's, it's more than that. It counts on your permanent record, regardless. Uh, I, I promise know. you, Marcus Freeman does not view this as a, as a glorified scrimmage. So no, definitely not. And so we're not going to treat it that way. And those that choose to participate in it don't feel that way. How many times do we see a, now it's going to, it'll change because the 12 team playoff and what have you, but how many times you see teams winning bowl games and, 
it's a huge deal. Those that choose to to participate, it's a big deal to them, and it certainly is to to, to Marcus Freeman. We have a question from Statman72. Ashton Craig played well enough in his two starts, and Nordin felt no need to retain Zeke Krell, a multi-year starter. Yet Craig was third string behind Christoffic, uh, referring to when uh, the injury occurred to yep. uh, to Correll against Clemson. Was Notre Dame undervaluing Craig before the last two games, or are they overvaluing him now? Well, they've liked him for ex- at least 15 months, right, Tim? For the first time you heard that was about 15 months ago. So I, if they're overvaluing him, then they've been doing it for a long time. I think Christoffic is a very safe choice to be the first guard and first center off the bench when someone gets hurt because he's played a lot of football. And you could trust Christoffic to go in, by the way, at the five-yard line against Clemson and snap the ball on a day where nothing was going right for the offense. Then he got hurt. I think it's impressive that Ashton Craig went in and snapped the ball at the five-yard line for the rest of the game in a situation where everyone's teeing off pass rushing, too. They probably just trusted Christoffic more. He was also, and maybe this is something, I know coaches have to do it, but it makes fans mad. Maybe Christoffic was also the good soldier that came back, did not win the job, stayed engaged, played backup guard, two positions and backup center, and they trusted him and, for lack of a better word, liked and rewarded him for that, for his effort. Yeah, They probably just trusted the fifth-year guy. Yeah, got to appreciate him being dedicated to the cause. Uh, Craig's a real deal. I mean, everybody at Nordy believes that now. Um, I found him to be an interesting interview, which just adds to some of the positivity and confidence that you have in him, uh, the maturity that he has and et cetera. He learned a lot. He learned a lot from Zeke Carell and, and Zeke Carell has been a good soldier as yes. well. Yeah. Starts. And that's why, like when I do that, uh, um, the Exodus, the, right. When you're, when you rank the loss of the yeah, player, thank you. I can't think of the name of my own uh, series that I started. Um, Exit, exit. Now, like, like when, when Maris Leofel walks out the door or Zeke Carell walks out the door, I'm not going to put a, I rated it one to five. I didn't put a five on Carell because they know who they, you know, yeah. who his successor is, but Leofel's a five loss. You, you, you thought you had a chance for him to re, re, return as a, as a starter. He played real. I thought he played really, really well. There was a period during the middle portion of the season where Leofel was all over the field. Yeah. He was physical and doing everything. He kind of maybe tailed off a little bit in the second half. But you don't just, I mean, a starter's a starter, a guy that's earned that responsibility. We don't just take a lot of that lightly, um, especially in, in the case of Craig. Now, you know, you've got a guy that's a that's an heir apparent there. Next is from Donnelly3434. What can we hope for in 2024 from the following players? Ubakar Traore, Aiden Gobira, Josh Burnham, and Brennan Vernon. I think Traore has a chance to be a a co-starter there. They'll probably go co. Yeah. Uh, Gobira's got to get healthy. I I think he's very important to the cause. I don't know exactly whether, you know, he's on strong side or uh, uh, weak side, but you need He's about 255. He'll never look like it. Um, No. Right? Uh, but that 255, boy, he was every bit of the little 230 the first time we ever saw him. Remember yep. that this, this yep. spring? Uh, uh, Burnham's, yeah. Burnham's a co-starter. I, Brennan Vernon, did I say this Monday? He His personality reminds me of a Bosa brother. Did I say that? No, that's a good one, though. 
but I but that yeah. he kind of he reminds me of that, and I like that. I, I like that probably for my defensive ends. Yeah. What do you think, Tim? Yeah. I mean, I I think Brandon Vernon should start now that you say it put it that way. But uh, I just think he's wired I, that way. I don't know yeah. where. He I think Traore and Vernon. Yeah. Traore will start somewhere next year. He's going to find he's a good player. He, they had a good deep defensive line and they found a need to play him four games and against USC in a pass rushing situation. He must have been showing something. It's not like he got in there by default. Braylon James went in because they had no more receivers left. Right. Bubakar Traore played his fourth game before November and they probably would have loved to have used him against Clemson and, it, and now they can use him in the bowl game. For people that yeah. don't know, he can play in the bowl game. It doesn't count. Everybody can play in the bowl game. And, you know, I mean, we don't have, speaking of, we were talking about RJ Oban a little bit before. We we really don't have any idea how good Traore is against the run. No, it, but he's got to find a spot, man. He just. No, there's no doubt. And there's a delicate balance that, that uh, Jordan Botello has never been able to find. And that is be an edge protector, be a run stopper, but still be a pass rusher. I, he's never found that balance. And I, I like, I'm sympathetic towards that because I, I, envisioning it myself i would imagine that's a really difficult thing to do yeah and i also i find batello interesting in that i don't think the viper position is his best position but kind of like jalen sneed batello's best position isn't a defined 11 player starting position it's a package deal where you're going after the quarterback moving around and attacking things and it i mean it's an incredibly valuable role on a good defense it's just a very hard sell to say we got about 250 snaps for you to do this we want you to wreak havoc yeah but you're not going to start well what like that's that's a hard I, I agree with you i agree with the comparison too i think it's a i think it's a difficult balance we have a question from nd1 i'm sorry nd15 irish after nine games where do you predict Nordic basketball will finish in the acc standings is it better worse or the same as your preseason assessment um, I guess it's the same because I figured they could win. Remember, I went all the way to did I think all the way to six, at least five. I think I said six because I remember I said Georgia Tech won six and they stink. Victory. Not not ranking in the conference, but victories. Yeah, victories. No, 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 okay. no, no. Right. Oh gosh, God, no. Yeah. Uh, no, like uh, so third from last is still about the range for Notre Dame. I do think they'll. I think the way they play basketball allows you to beat some teams that aren't. Look at this, like Marquette's great. South Carolina's really good at home. Auburn's very, very good. Yes. Yeah. If they played Western Carolina right now, they'd beat Western Carolina. I know that I people don't would. care when I say yeah. those things, but like it's, they're fine. They're they're not like a moribund team like last year's three and seventeen team. No, I it's extremely. Uh, I mean, it's every game is informative. It's for for those of us that want to study it, it's really interesting. They're not going to finish last. Louisville is god awful, and they don't play. They still don't play defense, so they're not going to finish last. Florida State, I, I I don't have a real good working knowledge of them, but I think it's another one of those years where they lose everybody and it's a it's a rebuilding process. I think they could finish ahead of them. Uh, next would maybe be Syracuse, but I doubt it. Next would maybe be Pitt, but I doubt it. And then you start getting into Boston College, Wake Forest, and Georgia Tech, who I think are playing pretty good basketball right now. So I don't care. Where they finish in the conference is meaningless. I want to watch and dissect every basketball game and see what they're doing defensively and how they're progressing offensively and seeing if they can avoid another shot clock violation. Yeah, that, that's that is a challenge, actually. They, just, they don't have the offense. 
Speaking of no offense, Irish Cardinal 1998 asks, as it relates to the Sun Bowl, how many TDs will it take for either team to win? <laughs> With the rebuilt line, limited wide receiver numbers, and an inexperienced quarterback, what do you expect Parker's game plan will be to get there? I, you know, speculating about game plans, I, I'm not going to get too deep into that. I We know the type of offensive coordinator uh, that that he is. I don't expect a huge sway from what they've done all season. That would be unfair to the players. It's not realistic that you change everything up for one bowl game. Uh, but I do think that with the line dropping from 46 to 43 and a half, and with Notre Dame being favored 10 and a half initially and dropping to six and a half, I do think this is a low scoring game. Me too. All the op, most of the ops outs are on both teams' offenses. I think it's going to be really difficult to move the football. I love Notre Dame at six and a half, though. I love the under, and I love whatever Notre Dame's over is as part of that because this they are going to have eight of their best eight of their best defensive players there. Yes, that's really good, and probably a couple of the better backups. Well, yeah, some of the better backups like Christian Gray and Jaden Mickey. Um, the entire Viper collection we keep naming will all be available to play. All the backup linemen, it, it, they're missing their strong side ends, one corner, and one linebacker. We assume J.D. Bertrand will play in the bowl game. Yeah, I mean, Xavier Watts is going to play in the Sun Bowl, whether he whether he goes to the NFL or not. He's going to play in the Sun Bowl. I, don't, I think Riley Mills is playing in the Sun Bowl because he's practicing. Yeah. No, I think so, too. Uh, you know, and, and Mills... We've been asked about, you know, Mills coming back. I think Cross coming back helps. I think the fact that that L. Golden appears to be the defensive coordinator is is likely coming back. It's a good situation. I like Notre Dame. The more I look at this game, I like Notre Dame. Um, the The comparison of experience at quarterback goes to Oregon State because their quarterback. Yeah, explain that, Tim, to people because they probably don't understand that. We got to keep reiterating it. Yeah, he was. A, he started the last eight games for he. Although he was the third string quarterback that threw one pass this year, he started eight in the last eight games for Oregon State and did a decent job. They were seven and one in those games. He's MVP not a of the bowl game. What MVP of the bowl game? Yep. Las Vegas Bowl. Yep. He's not a runner, which the other two guys would have been. Uyunga Lale and Childs would. Uh, Childs especially would have been a runner. Uh, that is not Goldbrunson's game at all. So. I, as I as I sit here now, and I, you know, I don't think there are going to be too many more opt outs, but um, I like Nordame in this game. I think Angeli will do just fine if those tackles hold up. And again, we're talking about Tosh Baker and Emil Wagner, who just about anybody in the country would say, "Yes, please, we want them on our team and right. on the field, especially against a team full of opt outs." Yes, Kevin Cunningham. I mean, that's just, it's not all of Oregon State's players either. Kevin Cunningham, six. Way too early guess on next year's captains. He offers Kaiser and Cross. It's a good call. Who else? That's a pretty good call. Uh, it's a good call. And this is our last question for this podcast. And I would think if Xavier Watts is back, Xavier Watts will will be a captain. Those three are gimmies. And after that, Tim, no senior offensive lineman. Well, no, that's not true. Coogan's a senior, but he's a red shirt junior yeah um yeah those guys are redshirt juniors spindler uh tight end mitchell evans is hurt that you're not going to really name an acl guy we're going through his acl trying to make it back into late september as your captain probably well i love talking to mitchell evans but i never thought to myself that's the uh guy that stands up and commands the entire football team type of captain 
No, but neither was Cam Hart. And I think, right. I think right. actually in my Thursday thoughts, I, because those three on defense were such gimmies, I said, I think they'll have more than four next year. But yet you start looking at the offensive side of the ball. I think Evans, Evans has as good a chance as anyone being named. Evans and Thomas, but my guess is Riley Leonard. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, let's, we need to see, you know, Hartman just be, it became obvious that Hartman was that kind of guy. I'm not I sure. I feel like Leonard's that kind of guy, don't you? I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure about that. I think Thomas is, is definite. You're going to have to have guys on the offensive side of the ball, and Jane Thomas is definite. Asafo Mensa would have been, yeah. although that would have been unusual because he wouldn't have been the starter. But I don't know. I think those the three on defense are absolute positively locks. And then after that, we're going to have to wait and see, uh, you know, what happens in the bowl game, what happens in the spring, what happens in the summer. Uh, but but those are those are certainly Kaiser. We've been we've been saying Kaiser and Cross were going to be captains for a couple of years now. Those are locks. Those are absolute. One hundred percent. Moving on. We're going to be yeah. back on Monday. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of activity in the transfer portal coming, going. Um, that's just the nature of of where we're at right now. And next week, of course, is signing day on the twentieth. So we'll have a lot more to talk about. Next week, we're always going to have a lot more to talk about in December now, Tim. We'll be back uh, for instant analysis on Saturday, right? We will be back for instant analysis yep. on Saturday. We'll have yep. a chance to, to uh, hook up with with Marcus Freeman. Are we getting players? I'm not sure we're getting no, players. It's a Freeman uh, Zoom, or not Zoom, Freeman uh, press conference, just like it would be a regular Monday type thing on Saturday afternoon. So we have a good press corps. We have a lot of questions to ask, and I'm sure most of them will be answered uh, when we get together with Marcus Freeman on Saturday. Until then, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, irishillustrated.com. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider. <laughs>